Hey, welcome to the Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is Sunday, September 12, 2021, and this is our kickoff Sunday. Everything happens today, everything kicks off, even with a lunch after the service. Hope you didn't miss it. This Sunday, we continue our series called Jesus Changes Everything, and in brackets after that, about you. That's right, Jesus Changes Everything About You. This Sunday's message is entitled, Love Is All You'll Ever Need. God bless you as you listen. Yeah, we are in a series now called Jesus Changes Everything. Jesus Changes Everything. And actually, in the little brackets there under that logo, it says he changes everything about you. And we're going to be looking at that today. Think of that, though, for a second, if you would. What has Jesus really changed? And I'm not talking about Jesus changing history, and for sure he did do that. Not only did he change the calendar and the timeline of human history, yes, he did change that too, nor am I talking about the fact that he changed religion for all time. He did that as well. Or even changing society. He did all those things. But what did Jesus change about you? What did Jesus change about you? And notice that I didn't ask, what did Jesus change for you? We're quite used to thinking about what Jesus changed for us. He changed life for me. He changed a circumstance for me. He changed a behavior for me. He's done a lot for me, and I thank God for that, and I'm sure you do too. But that's not the question I'm asking this morning. What has Jesus changed about you? Those are all good things what Jesus did, but what did he change about you? And see, that's a different question. What is it about you that Jesus has changed? Maybe let me put it in a little bit different light for a moment. Are you the same person today, now, that you were when you first accepted Christ, even before you accepted Christ for your life? Are you the same person? Again, I'm not talking about behavior. I'm talking about, really, nature and identity. Who you are and what you are. Last week, we learned that Jesus came to reveal the Father. And that's why the Father sent the Son. John chapter 1, verses 4 and following. It says, In him was life. And that life was the light of people, men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The word became flesh, verse 14, and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus came in flesh and blood to reveal to us who the Father is. And whether you're alive in that time when he came, or even now, in the natural, Scripture tells us you and I aren't able to see him as he really is. In the natural, you and I can't understand his words. So something had to change about us. Let me share with you three things this morning that are true about you that maybe you didn't know. Maybe you did know, but maybe you haven't thought of for a while. Number one is this. Everything about you needed to change to be able to see God. Everything about you needed to change to be able to see God. How much of things did I say? Everything. 
John chapter 1, let's look at verses 9 to 13. The true life, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's Jesus, right? He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, the Jews, but the Jews did not receive him. Yet to everyone who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. See, who you were had to change. Not just some things, not just most things, but everything about you had to change. And that's why Jesus puts it in terms of being born of God. In, in John chapter 3, we dealt with that a little bit last week. We, we visited with Nicodemus and Jesus. And, and Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, who's a prominent Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish high ruling council of the Israelite people. And, and these people should have recognized who he was above the common everyday Jew, but even they didn't, and they didn't receive him. Listen to what Nicodemus says to Jesus. Rabbi, we, that is a Sanhedrin, know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He and the Sanhedrin, very intellectual, very enlightened, very well-educated people in the Torah, the word of God at the time, they connected the miracles as signs of God's approval on Jesus. And those signs made Nicodemus and his buddies curious about Jesus' connection with God. That's why he was there privately, secretly meeting with him at night. But he still couldn't get what Jesus was talking about when Jesus said in in verse 5, John 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, Nick, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Verse 10, Jesus said, You are Israel's teacher and do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, And we testify of what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. In him. You see, believing changes everything about you. Because you are born again, you are born of the Spirit, you are born of eternal life. All same, all the same phrases. And what it means is an exchange or an, a return of natures had to take place. The old nature of death and separation from God with a new nature of eternal life and reconciliation with God. 
And this change or exchange, as Jesus says it, happens as you gain a new connection with Jesus. Verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Number two. Number two, how you see yourself needs to change to the way God sees you. How you see yourself needs to change to the way God sees you. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. So from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new has, is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I hope you're getting this. If you have been reconciled to God through Christ, in other words, if you believe, if you profess Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, then the old you is gone. And the new you has come. And everything about you has now changed because of Jesus. Friend, I I, I hope you see yourself that way. Because it means everything in your everyday life. Verse 16 tells us that we need to be careful to regard who we see, Christians, not from a worldly point of view anymore. You once even regarded Christ that way before. But be careful, don't regard even other Christians from a worldly point of view. Instead, you should regard each other from a heavenly or from God's point of view. Likewise, you need to be careful not to see yourself from a worldly point of view but from God's point of view. Let me show you what I mean. How did you wake up this morning? How did you wake up this morning? Did you wake up seeing yourself from a heavenly point of view, from God's point of view? What was the script going on in your head as you woke up? You tried roughly to roll out of bed, but the body ached, and you thought to yourself, the first part of the script was, oh man, I'm falling apart. And then you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, Ugh, I got a lot of work to do to make that look pretty today. And then you try to squeeze yourself into your skinny jeans, hoping that you'll be able to get them buttoned up today. Couldn't last week, but maybe this day you'll be able to. And you blame it on COVID weight when you can't. Then you mosey into the kitchen, you grab a handful of vitamins, and you wonder whether or not they're really working or not. And you think, well, here goes nothing. Then you walk through the door, grudgingly drive yourself to work. In all that daily wake-up routine, where did you see yourself in relation to God, from God's perspective? How did you see yourself from God's perspective? What was, was there any part of your script, your morning script, that was talking about where you are with God? In all of that wake-up routine... What were you focusing on? Surviving or living in the eternity of Christ's gift? At any point, did you wake up saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that even though my body aches a bit today, even though my face ain't as pretty as it once was, thank you that 
you have changed everything about me that really matters. Right? Thank you that I am 100% born again. I am a new creation in Christ. And my approval with you isn't dependent on whether I can fit into my skinny jeans. Thank you that my value isn't in what I look like in the mirror. Thank you that I am now a new creation in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And my Heavenly Father is glad I woke up today. Most of you don't think much like that in the morning. I know I don't much in that morning. Much less talk about ourselves like that. No, we're still talking about ourselves and thinking about ourselves as if we're that old creation still. Like the new hasn't come. I was at Tim Hortons this last week on Thursday or Friday and at noon, and I was just grabbing a quick bite to, for lunch. And uh, there was, the restaurant is filled with all these kids from high school just down the street here. And in front of me, there were these two teenage girls, and everybody was ordering ice caps because it was a nice warm day. Big, huge ice caps. Well, the lady behind the till, she plunks down two ice caps in front of these two girls, and she calls out, two ice caps, and the girls grab them all giddy, and they run back to the table where there's about six of their other friends waiting for them to get there. One of the girls talks up, and I, I heard it. Maybe she didn't realize others could hear. But she holds her cup up, and she goes, ah, what am I drinking this for? Every morning, Rachel texts me and tells me that she's still 103 pounds. Oh, I hate her. Can you imagine what her self-talk is for the rest of that morning? Maybe for the rest of the day? Why can't I be 300 pounds? Or 300 pounds. You can be, anybody can be 300 pounds. Why can't I be 103 pounds? Anybody can be 300 pounds. Why can't I be 103 pounds? Why can't I have Rachel's body? Ugh, I hate myself. I think a lot of teenage girls talk like that to themselves. What about the 25, the 35, the 55-year-old girls? What does you must be born again mean for these people and how they see themselves in relation to God every morning? How does being born again change their daily routines, their morning script, how they talk to themselves, about themselves, to God? Does it mean that anything to us that the Father in heaven calls us his kids and he cherishes us, he prizes us, that he declares you a new creation in his son? The reality often is I can tell you all day long how God sees you and values you now and I'd be right in telling you all that. But there's a difference between me saying that and you believing that you are valued by God. Isn't there? So why? Why, why is it that we can know in, up here that God thinks of us this way and values us this way, but we still think the other way about ourselves? Why is it so hard for us to believe who I am in Christ? Why is it hard to think and talk and act like I'm a born-again child of the living God? I'll show you why. Turn to me, with me to John chapter 3 again. John chapter 3. Jesus says, 
that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world, sound familiar? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I think, I think, you may have a different experience if you compare yours with mine, but I think the reason that so many find it so hard to believe who they are in Christ and to believe that God actually does really value them is because they think and they talk and they act like they're not born again. And that's because they don't believe that God loves them, really. We know up here that Jesus loves me, this I know, for my Bible tells me so, right? And we can stretch our imagining to even see God's love embracing the whole world. But it's in this next part that compromises our believing. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I think deep down in many of us, there is a resident sense of condemnation still from God. Deep down, we feel like God is still not all that impressed with us. Maybe we feel condemned because of something that we did before we made that profession of faith. Maybe we sat under a preacher that maybe told us and made us feel condemned every Sunday. Maybe we had parents that pointed out every fault and used God's word and God's love to kind of whip us into shape. Maybe you're caught up in some behavior now since you asked Jesus into your heart and your disobedience makes you feel condemned and unworthy of God's love. There's a bunch of different reasons people feel condemned by God. But can I point out something to you from from this passage? When does it say in John chapter 3 verse 16, when does it say that God so loved the world? At what point in history? Was it yesterday? No. It was before he even sent his son. It was the reason he sent his son. Because he loved us so. It was before the incarnation of Jesus, that event that we call Christmas, that God loved us so. So if God so loved the world before he sent his son, and it should stand to reason that he sent his, and it is the reason he sent his son, what does that say about you feeling condemned? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God loved you. Along with the rest of the world, before you were even born. Before you were born again, for sure, but even before you were born, physically. Even before Jesus was born, God loved us so. None of us, none of the sins of our past nor the sins of our present were then ever a barrier to God's love for us. 
Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Friends, if we miss the love of God, we miss why Jesus came. And if you don't know the love of God, you will continually heap condemnation on yourself, even after you know up here that he's paid for it on the cross. How's your experience with God these days? Understand that Jesus didn't come so that you could be loved by God. God already loved you. Even when you were living in sin, God sent Jesus to the world to die for the world for you because he loved us. He loved you. He didn't come so that you could be loved by God. He came so that you could know the God who loves you. Isn't that a big difference? Number three. How you, how you God sees? How God sees you should change how you wake up every morning. How God sees you should change how you wake up every morning. Let's go back to the story of Nicodemus. Chapter 3, verse 19 to 21. The verdict is in. Light has come into the world. His name is Jesus. But people loved darkness instead of light because of their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What's the verdict? What is a verdict? Literally, a verdict is something declared true, right? It's a final decision of a higher court of law or appeal. According to Holy Scripture, our, our court of appeal, Jesus is the light of the world, right? And he is the one who illuminates human understanding so that we can know the Father. And it was Jesus who paid for you to be able to wake up every morning in the love of God, free from condemnation. And when you decided to follow Jesus and you believed in him for eternal life, you were meant to wake up every morning in that new reality to be lived out every day. However, it is quite likely that many who believe walk around with a different verdict. You might be in the bad habit, a habit of judging yourself by yourself, and you let your human experience speak louder than God's truth about you. Verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Now, if you're here today and online watching, and if, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, then no doubt, I doubt, you love, I, I doubt that you love darkness over the light. But you could still be living in habits. You could still be speaking lies about yourself and about God that maybe you don't intend to. Lies and, under, and, 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 and thoughts that we learn well while we were in the darkness, before we believed in Jesus, but haven't yet put away, haven't yet let die. Verse 21, 
whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. You have to learn to change and control your self-talk so that you only speak truth about yourself and about God to yourself. How do you do this? Well, you could start by learning to rehearse often what is true about you and about the way that God thinks about you. You need to keep your eyes fixed on the love that God has for you. Read it in your word, in the Bible, daily, as often as you can. And even say it out loud, publicly. You need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You need to counter condemning thoughts with a new verdict. And the verdict is in. God so loved me that he gave his one and only son that I, by believing, become his. And I have eternal life now because I have been born again. I am a child of the Most High God. And no one can change nothing about me that Jesus has already changed. Now there's an enormous benefit to believing and knowing you're loved by the Father then. It's that you don't have to try to get your love from other people. If other people love you and value you, well then bonus. That's great. But whether you are loved by others and valued by others does not diminish in any way the value and the worth that God has in his heart for you. See, without understanding that, you're, you're an obje- understanding that you're an object of God's love and mercy all the time, you will forever be trying to find love from other people and value from other people. That's why I love the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Why is she there in the heat of the day, the hottest time in the day? Because she had a past, right? A past that everyone in Sychar, her hometown, knew about. And if she went to the well when the other women of the town went to the well, well, then she knew that she would just be facing nothing but condemnation from them. And so she goes at the hottest time of the day when she knew that none of the other women would get there. But guess who's there? (laughs) Jesus. Number one, he's a Jew, right? So normally... A Jew would not pass through Samaritan territory. That was just sort of, the Samaritans were seen as unclean. Also, he was a man, and he was a rabbi, and so he shouldn't even have been talking to a single woman, much less a woman with her past. But Jesus knows her situation. He knows her sin. I think better yet, he knows who he is. And still he breaks all the rules and he talks to her and he asks her, an unclean Samaritan woman, to hand him a drink from the well of Jacob. Of course, she protests and tries to make excuses, but Jesus says to her in John chapter 4, verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water from Jacob's well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Listen closely, friends. If you're trying to gain love from people who are not God, 
then you will always be trying to drink from a well that never satisfies. People are empty. People are broken vessels. Jesus is everything the Father is, and his love is perfect, and his love is endless, right? And you will never be thirsty for love and value when you go to him for your eternal life. So friend, if God says one thing about you, why would you believe anything different about yourself? But we do, often. How God sees you should change the way you wake up every morning. But some of that will be dependent on how, what you're rehearsing in your head, the script you tell us, the truths you're living and believing. So learn to rehearse well who you are in Christ. Read it in God's word and say it about yourself verbally. Maybe when you're looking at how much you've got to change in the morning to look good for other people, maybe just stop for a moment. And rehearse what is already true about you. You have God's love and his value. And you have his heart. He is yours. Start telling yourself the truth. The verdict is in. Why don't we read this verdict together? The verdict is in. God so loved me that he gave his one and only son. And I believe that. I believe in him. And I have eternal life because I have been born again. I'm a child of the Most High, and no one and nothing can change that about me. Make that your script every day, and you will never doubt the love of God, and you will never need the approval and the love from others to prove your value and worth. Let's pray. Worship team, why don't you come on up? I want you to just pause for a moment and think of your morning routine. Where in your morning routine can you insert those kinds of scripts? Where in your morning routine? Maybe rolling out of bed. Maybe getting yourself ready in the morning. Maybe getting dressed. Maybe making breakfast. Maybe stepping foot out the door or going to work or, or school or wherever. Where can you enter those scripts in your mind and in your heart so that you will never doubt the love and value that God has for you? Can I encourage you in this world that we live in that you should probably be listening to way more Christian music because the radio music wants to bring you down. If you don't like 103 point whatever, find a CD that you like. Find a playlist that you like. Because the verdict is in, my friend. God loves you. And he gave his one only son for you. And I know you believe that. So believe that you're his. Believe that you have his love and that there is now and therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Only eternal life. Amen? You are a child of the Most High God. Live in that. That's your new identity. Walk in that way. No one and nothing can change that about you because it is given to you by God, the eternal life. God bless you.